Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software to make sure that you never miss an episode. I also do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast, and uh, this week I want to go ahead and highlight our Volume 1 podcast. If you want to enjoy the earliest days of the great detectives of old-time radio, check it out at volume1.greatdetectives.net. This is a great time to jump on board as we are just getting started on Season 3, our 2011-2012 season that will feature such shows as Barry Craig, Let George Do It, Sherlock Holmes, Candy Matson. Poirot, and really a lot more on Tuesday. So many uh, short series we played that year. And you can subscribe over at volume1.greatdetectives.net and also listen to all of Season 1 and Season 2, now available for your listening pleasure. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air dates, November 21st and November 22nd, 1955, and the title is The Amy Bradshaw Matter, Episodes 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. George Atkins at Northwest Indemnity. Oh, hiya, Georgie. How'd you like to go to New York, Johnny, and get into the game mad world of the theater? Thanks a lot, Georgie, but no thanks. I'm not the grease paint type. I know, but Amy Bradshaw is. Amy Bradshaw? Yeah, we wrote a policy on her a couple of years ago. Look, if it's her autograph you want, why send me? It's not that simple. Anyhow, she's got all the fans she wants. I know, I'm one of them. I think she's great. Johnny, looks like somebody's trying to kill her. Georgie, I'll be right over. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dalton. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Northwestern Indemnity Alliance, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Amy Bradshaw matter. Expense account item one, $16.50. Transportation and incidentals to New York City. I checked in at a hotel and then went over to the Criterion Theater on West 44th, where Amy was starring in a play called The Unguarded Hour. David Coleman, the director, was standing in the wings watching the third act on stage. David Coleman? Yes? I'm Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator, sent over by Northwestern Indemnity. Oh, uh, yes, Mr. Dollar, I called them. Uh, Let's go over here where we can talk. Okay. How's the play going? Well, 22 weeks now. Been going along just fine until this business came up. How did it start? Last evening, just before curtain time, I dropped by Amy's dressing room. She looked, well, strange. How so? Pale, trembling. She was staring at a note in her hand. It 
sounded like some sort of crank note, Juno. You are an evil woman. You will be punished by sudden death, unquote. Have you reported this to the police? Oh, no. Uh, I was afraid that if I did, it might get into the papers, and we don't want that kind of publicity. I see. How about if I talk to Amy after the show? I told her you'd be down, and she'll talk to you. Oh, good. Well... Uh, Mr. Dollar, the strain of this whole thing's beginning to show up in her performance. She's making mistakes, and it rattles the cast, especially the young ingenue, Sheila Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll see what I can do. There's always the possibility that it is just a crank note and that Amy will never hear any more of it. Well, that's what I'm hoping. But we might as well face another possibility. That somebody close to Amy is using the crank note as a cover. Has that thought ever occurred to you? Why, no. No, it hasn't, Mr. Dollar. We will continue with the Bradshaw matter in a moment. Friends, how'd you like to thrill your favorite youngster with some of the most exciting toys of the year? Picture the breathless excitement of any child surrounded by six gaily colored balloon-like giant animals up to three feet long, and all for the low, low price of just one dollar. Now, first you get Bounceo the Clown with round pot belly and funny nose. Next comes Hoppy the Australian Kangaroo. Third, there's Roscoe the Roller Skating Bear. He's two feet tall and looks almost like real. Fourth, there's Whitey the Fat Indoor Snowman. And fifth, Mortimer the Giant Mouse, 18 inches long and sure to scare the whiskers off any cat. That's five different giant animals. But now, hold your breath for the most sensational toy of all, the star of the whole Christmas season, the jolly giant talking Santa Claus, guaranteed to make everybody's Christmas a merrier one. He's a big roly-poly happy Santa. He stands erect on two legs, is actually over three feet tall and 32 inches around. Best of all, he actually talks. Just pull the tape and he says, Merry Christmas for all to hear. He's the biggest, merriest talking as Santa ever. Sure to please your youngsters and spread good cheer. Yes, Giant Santa proves there really is a Santa Claus. That's a total of six giant animals made of brightly colored, preformed, sturdy latex, which the kids can easily inflate. And the cost? Just one dollar, not for each. Just one dollar for all six of these lovable giants who'll turn your home into a circus parade. And here's a surprise. Mail your order today and you'll also receive absolutely free Peter the Rabbit, actually over two feet tall with big red ears almost nine inches long. But you must send now. Rush $1 plus 10 cents for packing and mailing for each set you want to Giant Animals Box 1580, Grand Central Station, New York City. If not delighted with every one of your seven giant animals, return them to the Super Animals Company for a full refund, but keep the giant talking sat as our gift. Order now. Supplies are limited. Rush $1.10 for packing and mailing for each set in cash, check, or money order to Giant Animals, Box 1580, Grand Central Station, New York City. That's $1 plus 10 cents with your name and address. Mail to Giant Animals, Box 1580, Grand Central Station, New York City. That's Giant Animals, Box 1580, Grand Central Station, New York City. I waited for Amy Bradshaw in her dressing room at the theater. Fifteen minutes later, after the final curtain, she swept in. Oh, there you are, Mr. Dodd. I'd never seen her from closer than the 15th row before, and needless to say, I was impressed. But I didn't have a chance to say so. I didn't have a chance to say anything. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. If you'll just give me a minute to get some of this makeup off. Now? Now. Hi. Hi. I knew it was only a question of time until you ran down. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I get a little overcharged out on the stage. Sure. Listen, it's nice meeting you, Mr. Dollar, and I know why you've come down here, but I think you're wasting your time. Oh? Yeah. This whole thing's really pretty silly, you know. I hope so, Miss Bradshaw. You mean Amy. Okay, Amy. 
Say, look, uh, how about having a drink with me somewhere? We can talk about it. I'd love to, but I'm afraid I have a date tonight. Could we make it tomorrow, maybe? Sure, okay, anytime you... Excuse me. Come in. Oh, Mike. Oh, hello, Amy. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you had company. That's all right. This is Johnny Dollar. Johnny, Mike Pomeroy, my agent. Mr. Pomeroy, how are you? What'd you think of it tonight, Mike? Well, they seem to like it okay. Oh. Uh, tell you what, Amy, I'll see you tomorrow, eh? Uh, tomorrow, Mike? I've got a few things I've got to take care of tonight. Uh, contracts to go over, you know, th- things like that. I... Oh, of course. Well, glad to meet you, Dollar. Uh, night, Amy. Is that offer of a drink still good, Johnny? Well, sure, but I thought you said you have... Oh, oh, sure, let's go. Thanks for understanding. Anywhere in particular? There's a little place right down the street, small and quiet. Good. Oh. What's the matter? Would you mind if we crossed the stage and went out the other door? Oh, no. Why? I think someone's waiting for me outside this exit. Oh. Sort of a friend of mine, Porter Kane, but he can be a little wearing, and I'm rather tired. Sure. I could see him through the open door. A thin-faced, rather elegant-looking man in a black Homburg. We went out the other side and down the street to a bar a few doors away. Item two on expense account, four dollars, drinks. After the first one, Amy relaxed a little. I wanted to get her talking about herself, and it wasn't too tough to do. There's not really much to tell about me. I've been acting a long time. Sometimes it seems too long. I've come a long way. Some people would say up. I hope it is. (laughs) You make it sound pretty simple, Amy. I guess we do what we have to, all of us. I had to act, so... So, just like that, huh? (laughs) Just like that. You've always gotten everything you wanted, haven't you? I think so. Hasn't anyone ever gotten in your way? No, Johnny, that's never happened. If it did... It looks to me like somebody's standing in your way right now. What do you mean? That threatening letter you got the other day. I told you. The whole thing's silly. There's nothing to it. Now, that's what you told me, but I don't think you believe it. Okay. So maybe I have worried a little about it. I I wouldn't have if it hadn't been... It was probably only my imagination. What was, Amy? Well, last night after the show, I felt like walking a little. I went west on 44th Street to Times Square, and as usual, it was crowded. I stood on the curb waiting for the light to change, and suddenly I got shoved out into the street. Oh? Right out into the traffic. I jumped back just in time. You see who did it? How can you tell in a crowd like that? I know. It was probably only coincidence that it happened right after I got that note, but... Oh, Johnny, I, I still just can't believe anybody's really trying to do me harm, but... I guess... What's been making me nervous during the performance is staring out at that blackness past the footlights, wondering if there's somebody out there who hates me. Uh-huh. I guess I can't stand being hated, Johnny. I've got to be loved. Look, Amy, did it ever occur to you this might not be a crank out in the audience, that it might be someone closer to you? What? Johnny, that's impossible. Isn't I don't have many friends. They've mostly to do with the play, but those I have are good ones. Who else besides your agent, Pomeroy? How about the director? David Coleman. He's a very old friend and one of the best. How about the producer? Emery's the last person in the world who'd wish me harm. On a dollars and cents basis, if nothing else, he and Dora both. Dora? His wife. I like her very much. Does she like you? 
Why shouldn't she? What about this man you wanted to duck tonight, the one who was waiting outside the theater? Porter Kane? Oh, he's just sort of a fan, I guess. A little eccentric, maybe, but he's been very good to me. Johnny, really, it couldn't be any of them. Maybe, maybe not. Look, Amy, I was sent down here because Northwestern Indemnity holds a policy on you. I know. Now, who's the beneficiary? William York. Who's he? My husband. You... Oh. I didn't know you were married. We separated six months ago. What I wanted, he didn't. What he wanted, I didn't. It's as simple as that. Well, where is he now? Here in New York somewhere, I guess. I don't know. He's a writer, sort of. Johnny, I'm tired. Oh, yeah, sure you must be. I'm sorry I kept you so long. Oh, no, I didn't mean that. It's been nice. Very nice. It's funny. I seem to relax a little when I'm with you. We let that one lay and went outside. Item three on expense account, $2. Taxi to Amy's apartment. There was a car parked two doors down with a man just sitting in it. I saw Amy give it a quick look. Then as she said goodnight to me at the door, I noticed that she slipped the catch on it. I sauntered across the street and stepped into the shadows. A moment later, the door of the parked car opened and her agent, Mike Pomeroy, got out and went into the apartment house. Then I realized I wasn't the only one watching this. Half a block down the street, I could see a figure in a shadowy doorway. I ran toward him, but he took off around the corner. When I reached the corner, he was nowhere in sight. Amy might have been taking this thing only half seriously, but I was real serious about it now. She said she had some very nice friends. But I had a strong hunch that one of these very nice friends was out to kill her. Johnny Dollar. Al Sintella down at Precinct Headquarters, Johnny. Oh, hi, Al. Sorry I missed your call a few minutes ago. What's on your mind? An actress named Amy Bradshaw. Amy? One of my favorites. Me too. But right now I seem to be looking for a guy who doesn't feel that way about her. Huh? Al, it looks like somebody's trying to kill Amy Bradshaw. Better come down here and tell me all about it. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, New York City. To the Northwestern Indemnity Alliance, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Amy Bradshaw matter. The threat of an attempt on her well-insured life. Expense account item 5, $1.75. Cab from my hotel to precinct headquarters to talk to Detective Lieutenant Al Centella. Al looked about the same as the last time I'd seen him. Rugged, competent, maybe a few pounds heavier. Sit down, Johnny, sit down. Thanks. Something about Amy Bradshaw, you said. Yeah. Didn't know you were a friend of hers. Northwestern Indemnity holds a $25,000 life insurance policy on her. Here, take a look at this note. Amy got it several days ago. You are evil. You will be punished by sudden death. Oh, come on now, Johnny. A couple of nights ago, after the show, somebody shoved Amy off the curb and out into the traffic over in Times Square. Well, the same thing happens to me almost every time I'm around Times Square. You know what I smell in all this? Oh, sure. You probably smell a publicity stuff. I sure do. You think I'd fall for a thing like that? You known Amy Bradshaw very long? No. I'd seen her in a few shows, but last night was the first time I'd ever met her in person. I didn't know you pretty well, I'd say you might be getting a little stage struck on her. Uh-huh. What about the man who trailed Amy to her apartment last night? Oh? Who? I don't know. I chased him, but he had too much of a lead on me. I still wouldn't go jumping to any conclusions. 
Who you got to work on, for instance? Well, for one, David Coleman, her director. Then there's the producer, Emery Taylor, and his wife, Dora. From what Amy said, I gather Dora doesn't like her very well. Anybody else? Then there's her agent, Mike Pomeroy. She seems to be pretty wrapped up in him. Old stable fool, huh? Yeah, looks like it. Also, a fellow named Porter Kane, who was usually hanging around the theater waiting for Amy. And finally, the man I really came to talk to you about. Who's that? Name is Bill York, her husband, but they're separated. Oh? She doesn't know where he is. You figure he might tie in somehow? He is the beneficiary of Amy's insurance policy. Well, I'll see if I can turn up an address on him for you. Okay, thanks, Al. In the meantime, I think I'll pay a call on this Porter Kane. See if I can find out just how good a fan he is. We will continue with the Bradshaw matter in a moment. Expense account item 6, 225. Cab to the apartment of Porter Kane in the East 70s. It was an expensive-looking place. I got there about noon, but Porter Kane was just finishing breakfast, accompanied by Chopin. May I offer you a cup of coffee, Mr. Dollar? Oh, thanks. A blank, please. Yes. Now... You uh, came to see me about Amy Bradshaw, I believe. That's right, Mr. Kane. I represent Northwestern Indemnity Alliance. They hold a policy on Miss Bradshaw. You perhaps want some sort of character reference on her? You uh, might put it that way. Well, in that case, you couldn't have come to one better qualified than I. You see, Amy is my career at present. Afraid I don't understand, Mr. Kane. Well, some years ago, I was relieved of the sordid but customarily necessary task of working for my bread and butter... The result is that I've been able to devote myself to a fascinating hobby. What kind of a hobby? I collect things. Oh? The objects of my interest vary, but uh, they all have one thing in common. Ah? This signet ring I'm wearing, for instance. Yes, I noticed it. Very unusual. The crest is that of the Medici family, Renaissance Italy. The only ring of its kind in the world, so far as any of the authorities on that period are aware... Uh, that uh, vase on the table, the painting on the wall, uh, that sculpture. One of a kind, huh? Precisely, which brings us quite logically to Amy, who is clearly one of a kind. So? So I plan to add Amy to my collection. Just like that, huh? I'm certain Amy will see it my way in time, and I have time. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must dress for the matinee. Uh, will I see you again, Mr. Dollar? Yes. You probably will, Mr. Kane. I was glad to get out of the hothouse atmosphere of Kane's apartment. Real weird, this character. And I had a hunch I'd better keep an eye on him. Item 7, $1.65, cab fare that evening to the Criterion Theater. I arrived half an hour before curtain time and headed for Amy's dressing room. Then as I approached her door... You'll listen real careful. I'll give it to you once again. You've been tossing wrong cues to Sheila for three nights now. You've been doing everything you can to upstage her and make her look bad. Mike, it's just that I've been nervous lately. Maybe I have made a few mistakes in my life. Amy, you know I've got plans for Sheila and I don't want her looking bad in this play. You've got plans for Sheila. What about us? Amy... We can talk about that some other time. But for now, I just want you to understand. You're to lay off Sheila. I mean it. Is that a threat, Mike? Take it any way you like. It sounded like Pomeroy was coming outside, so I ducked around behind a piece of scenery and waited a moment. Then I went back to Amy's door. Oh, Johnny. Hello, Amy. You look tired. I am. 
I just had a little go-around with Mike. Amorai? Uh-huh. I've been fluffing some of my lines lately. He seems to think I've been doing it deliberately to make Sheila Mitchell look bad. But he's wrong. Have you found out anything yet, Johnny? <sighs> no, not much. I still can't believe there's anything to it. It's so silly to let it upset me. Silly even to give it a thought. Well, try not to, Amy. Let me worry about it. All right. Did I ever tell you it's nice having you around? Johnny. I left a dressing room and started for the alley door, but somebody stepped out in front of me. It was Mike Pomeroy. Hello, Dollar. Oh, hi, Pomeroy. I was just talking to Dave Coleman, the director. He told me uh, he was the one who sent for you. He told me why. You didn't know about the threatening letter Amy got? No, no, I didn't. Look, uh, Dollar, every actress I've ever known has gotten at least one note like that during her career. You don't think this should be taken too seriously, then? No. Amy's pretty nervous these days. And as long as you're around stirring things up, she'll be worried about it. If there's anything to be done about it, I can handle it. In other words, you want me to mind my own business, that it? You said that, Dollar. I didn't. It might not be a bad idea. Funny thing. When somebody tells me to lay off a case, my interest in it always doubles... After the final curtain, I went backstage to wait for Amy. The stage door was open, and I could see Porter Kane waiting in the alley outside. So I went over to him. Well, Mr. Dollar, good evening. Hello, Kane. On duty again tonight? Perhaps that's one way of putting it. I thought I might have a little chat with Amy after she's changed. I'm afraid she has a date. Oh? Do you happen to know with whom? Yeah, me. Uh, Mr. Dollar, are you suggesting that I'm to regard you as some sort of... Rival? Not at all, Kane. I'm just suggesting that I'm a friend of Amy's. I see. Good night, Mr. Dollar. After Kane left, I stood beside the stage door and tried to figure out some of the angles on this case. There were too many of them. By the time I went in, the theater was dark, except for a dim light bulb over the stage, and everyone had gone. Everybody, that is, except Amy. I ran into the darkened theater. She was standing horrified next to the stairway by the dressing rooms, her eyes fixed on something that lay on the floor. Johnny, I was on my way out to meet you. I heard a swish through the air. This heavy sandbag, it barely missed me. Oh, Johnny! Stay back against the wall, Amy. You'll be okay there. I climbed the long ladder up to the catwalk above the stage where they sometimes use the sandbags to balance hunks of scenery. It was dark up there. I started edging along the catwalk. Suddenly, my foot hit a loose board. I almost lost my balance. A loose board that could have been left for me. And it was a long, long drop down to the stage. Whoever had been up there knew the theater pretty well. Finally, I went back down to Amy. She was trembling. Johnny. It's okay, Amy. It's okay. Johnny. Maybe I didn't take it seriously before, but I do now. Somebody dropped that sandbag from up there deliberately. Somebody is trying to kill me, and I'm scared, Johnny. I'm scared. Johnny Dollar will be back in a moment to tell you about tomorrow's episode. 
Friends, send for your set of some of the most exciting toys of the year. Six giant inflatable toys for only one dollar. Some up to three feet tall. You get Bounceo the Happy Clown, Hoppy the Australian Kangaroo, Roscoe the two feet long roller skating bear, Whitey the fat indoor snowman, Mortimer the giant mouse 18 inches long, and last but not least, the great giant talking Santa. A roly-poly giant over three feet tall and 32 inches around the belly that actually says Merry Christmas out loud when you pull the tape. That's six sensational giant toys for only one dollar, made of sturdy, gaily-colored latex that the kids can easily inflate. Send one dollar for each set to Giant Animals, Box 1730, Grand Central Station, New York City. And if you order right now, you get Peter the Rabbit over two feet tall absolutely free. If not delighted with your Giant Animals, your money refunded immediately. Order today, you may never hear this offer again. Rush $1 plus 10 cents for packing and mailing in cash, check, or money order to Giant Animals, Box 1730, Grand Central Station, New York City. That's $1 plus 10 cents for each set with your name and address to Giant Animals, Box 1730, Grand Central Station, New York City. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's episode of the Amy Bradshaw Matter. Tomorrow... A man steps onto the stage from out of the past and into a role he doesn't want to play. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Robert Reif. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. All I'll say about the ads is that I prefer the Champagne Velvet beer commercials. Though sadly, uh, these two weeks are the only weeks of the serial era that are actually sponsored. It does seem like this may have been fairly short notice given that we had the Amy Bradshaw matter substituted for the Cronin Manor, which had been promised for this week, but would not actually air for another two weeks. Given his proximity to New York, and the number of cases he ends up working in New York City, I guess it makes sense that Johnny's been to Broadway shows a good number of times, and enough to have developed a positive impression of an actress. In terms of suspects, of course, we do have the estranged husband, but Porter Kane and Mike both make interesting suspects. With Porter Kane, he's one of those people, if you you wonder whether he's just not self-aware enough to realize how creepy he sounds, or if he is so wealthy that he doesn't care that people uh, think he sounds creepy. And as for Mike, I think his general statement to Johnny would have been sound if not for what 
Johnny overheard, which made his motivation suspect. So we'll find out how this gets resolved as we carry on with episodes uh, three through five. But now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And I continue to get uh, emails on the Alphonse and Gaston reference back in the Lorco Diamond matter. And we're up to nine now. Not complaining, mind you. I'm grateful for everyone reaching out. Thank you to Derek, Steve, and Holly. Holly sent along this interesting link to a, a piano exercise named Alphonse et Gaston. And when I looked into it, the piano exercise is said to have come from a French folk tune. And generally, when you're talking about folk tunes, those go back uh, greater ways than the early 20th century. And it raises a couple of ideas. One is that the piece was renamed after the comic strip. But perhaps uh, the music in question was an inspiration for uh, naming the comic strip. When I watch the hands move across the piano, it's a cross-hands exercise where one hand crosses over the other. And there's also a moment where one hand is deferring to the other. And I could kind of see a writer watching this routine, or maybe even having played it at some point, and coming up with the idea of these two deferential gentlemen, Alphonse and Gaston. Or when he conceived of them, he thought of the musical exercise. Steve says, I vaguely remember this trivia when I heard it in the Johnny Dollar episode, but don't know why. Maybe I heard from my uh, grandparents. Uh, yeah, that is so odd just how sometimes some random piece of trivia manages to survive and float around even as things that are far more important get forgotten. And of course, th we have all of these idioms out there where we say them without actually knowing why they were originally said or what they originally meant only perhaps their modern context. Thanks so much again for everybody reaching out. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Rhonda. Rhonda has been one of our Patreon supporters since October 2020, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Rhonda. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And I do encourage you to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We will be back on Friday with the conclusion of the broader matter. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment where... Come in. You are Senor Mitchell, no? I am Senor Mitchell, yes. Who are you? Enrique of the hotel, senor. I have come to inquire if your room is in order. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything seems to be fine. I'm just getting unpacked. What's that under your arm? A bottle of the finest Malaga wine, senor, with the compliments of the hotel. Oh? See, it is our way of extending to you the welcome. I see. 
And now, if you will permit, I will see if everything is in order in the bathroom. Sure, go ahead. Hmm. Desk, this is Senior Mitchell in 211. Is it the custom of the hotel to send a bottle of wine to each new guest? It isn't, huh? Well, thanks very much. So, everything is in order, Senor Mitchell. I hope you will enjoy your stay here. Just a minute, Enrique. Uh, what is it, Senor? Well, as long as you are kind enough to bring me this bottle of wine, I'd like you to have a drink with me. Why, uh, it is very nice of you to offer, Senor. But I'm afraid the hotel regulations forbid the employees to drink with the guests. Oh, well, couldn't we make an exception? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. Now, if you will excuse me, I must leave, Senor... You're blocking the door. You can leave, Enrique, right after you have a drink with me. But I have told you it is impossible. Funny. You're perspiring all of a sudden. Weather seems pretty chilly to me. Senor, I must leave. Couldn't be by any chance there's something wrong with this wine, could it? I insist you let me buy. Like a poison, for instance? Get out of my way! I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime... Do send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.